Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Listen, we are going to uh, we're going to pray and we're going to go right on in. But I want to uh, mention, let's make sure um, there are a few holiday insights that we'll lift up very briefly. Um, oh, yes. We mentioned to the first group this morning that today is clean out your computer day and you may or may not opt to clean out your computer. I think it's wise, but what's even more wise is to back up anything that's on your computer that you want to retain. Make sure, make sure that you back that thing up. And I'm not talking about the little song or rap or whatever. I'm talking about back your computer up. All right. And, uh, National Organ Donor Day today as well. And, um, Certainly give serious consideration to how you can be a help to someone else. And it is St. Valentine's Day. I'll come back to that in a moment. Today, Singles Awareness is <clears throat> tomorrow, Singles Awareness Day. And um, let us always remember that um, some of the most influential people in the world, in, in world history, have been singles. Um, and of course, in the kingdom of God, we acknowledge the Apostle Paul, perhaps the, the second most famous single in the body of Christ, and the first most uh, famous and renowned single is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so singleness does not mean second class or second rate. Susan B. Anthony Day is tomorrow, and that speaks of the uh, <clears throat> women's rights and women's suffrage. And we can't say too much about the contribution of women, and thank God for their recognition as equal and co-equal with males. Uh, God never created a hierarchy on the order of what some people have distorted his truth into. Uh, February 17th, random acts of kindness. And we won't go all the way through it. We'll just, the Winter Olympics conclude on uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, by the way, uh, I trust that those who uh, enjoyed, um, uh, who observed, who observed, uh, who observed uh, Super Bowl Sunday yesterday, I certainly hope that you got what you were looking for. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know which side you were on, so forth. But I hope that you enjoyed it nevertheless. All right. Julia says, I used to enjoy your preaching back when Bishop Barber would still come to St. John in Camden. Uh, God bless you, Brother Julius J. Well, wonderful, wonderful. I'm glad to know that you are with us and have been with us all those days ago. My, my, my. Well, we're still in, uh, we're still in Camden. Uh, St. John in Camden, as a matter of fact. So I hope that uh, you're aware of our present connection with St. John. St. John is still marching on, and uh, and we're 
sharing there on a uh, on a regular basis. So if you were not aware of that, Brother Julius, let's talk about that because uh, the Lord is blessing St. John. I want to just mention this concerning um, St. Valentine's Day, that St. Valentine's Day is just that. It is a day that was set apart by the church to commemorate the life of a man of God, a preacher, a preacher, someone who uh, advocated for marriage when the law in that country was forbidding marriage. Not only that, but he was used in miracles, signs and wonders. And so, you know, so often we get caught up in what has been made of a day that we forget what the full significance of the day is. It is a day to express love, <clears throat> and we encourage you to express love to all of those who are connected to you, whether it is, of course, by marriage or <clears throat> whether it's by parenting, um, relatives of, of all sorts that we would, and brothers and sisters in Christ and so forth, all right? So I encourage you to just um, express the love of God. And of course, we know it's not just on one day, but it is an ongoing thing. Well, let us pray together. And remember, this, this prayer time is to strengthen and to build up all of the professionals and all of their connections, whether it's extended family, immediate family, co-workers, subordinates, superiors in terms of the workplace, all of that. All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've made it possible for us to come together this morning. You said in your word, that we could come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in the time of need. This is a needy time. Hallelujah. But you said that you're our refuge and you're our strength and you're a very present help in trouble. <clears throat> we ask that you would guide this people, guide this body of listeners and participants. We ask that you would build each individual up according to his or her particular need. We ask that all of our spirits would be built up and all of our souls would be built up and that all of the bodies of the people would be strengthened. Even the request that I've received concerning this one that is hospitalized with a condition in the liver and other places in the body. Father, let your healing power manifest in that body by the authority of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we thank you for this now. And let every need that the people of God have, let those needs be supplied. Let doors of utterance and doors of opportunity and doors of resource be opened unto them. And we thank you, O oh God, that the kingdoms of this world will be shown to be the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. We know that it will fully be consummated when you come in the second advent. But we thank you that because you did come and because this age tastes of the powers of the age to come, we can experience measures of that which is to come in our day. And we believe to receive it and we believe to see it in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Christ of God. Amen and amen. Amen, amen. All right. God bless you now. 
Those of you that are on the uh, Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals Facebook page, please give StreamYard permission to show your name because we can't see your name otherwise. We have to have your permission for that. All right. Yes, do some study on St. Valentine. And someone will say, well, uh, Brother Blue, St. Valentine, he's a Roman Catholic saint. Well, first, we're not against the Roman Catholics. Millions who love the same Jesus Christ that we love. There are some aspects of certain ideologies to which we do not subscribe, but we love our brothers and sisters. But that's not the point. Here's the point. Uh, the Roman Catholic and other churches that are more um, orthodox and traditional with regard to the veneration of the saints and all of that, they adopt these men and these women as saints. They uh, beatify them. But listen, those people don't necessarily subscribe to a certain ideology. They're Christians. They're Christians. And many of these ancients, they didn't know anything about a particular, quote, denomination. They were just Christians. They just loved the Lord. So don't allow yourself to be narrow with regard to that. Valentine was a man of God, a preacher of the gospel, an advocate for the principles of God, a lover of people. And then he ended up uh, dying as a martyr for the faith. He died as a martyr for the faith. And so more can be said about that. This is not really the context for it. But but look up, study the life of St. Valentine, and you will have an even greater appreciation for this season. And you will realize, just as many people come to understand about Christmas, that it's far bigger than what I can get or what you can get, but it's about living to give and then giving to live. That is having giving as a motivation and then understanding that the more I live as God did, the more he causes me to live that much more abundantly as, as Jesus did in the earth. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. All right. Well, one of the observances that is ongoing, we will talk about in the context of our uh, study for this week. Our overarching theme, as you recall, our overarching theme is being, becoming, and doing, being, becoming, and doing. And our theme passage is from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12 and verse one, really you need to read through verse three, but Genesis chapter 12 and verse one says, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And then verse two and verse three, God delineates what he will do upon Abraham's obedience. 
Abram's obedience. As I listen back to the discussion from last time, and you all did a wonderful job of interacting, there's a there's a powerful energy that rises when we are interactive in these uh, discussions. And you're welcome, those of you that are expressing thanks. You, you're more than welcome. Listen, um, as I listened back to last time's <clears throat> discussion, I noted that I gave the definition of Abram, which is exalted father, but I'd not give the definition of Abraham, which is father of many nations. Okay, so I want to be explicit with that. Abram, exalted father. Um, Ab in uh, Hebrew actually means father. Ab, Abba. And then, and then uh, Abraham, father of many nations. When we talk about being, becoming, and doing, we're talking about phases of existence and phases of our reality phases of our realization here we have we have our being in God and when God identified himself to Moses he said I am that I am and when he says I am that I am he's giving the verb, in English, we'd call it the verb to be. And all of the various tenses would be legitimate. I am who I am, or I was who I was, or I will be who I will be. But they can also be totally interchangeable. I am who I was, I was who I will be, I was who I am. All of those are legitimate because our God is eternal. He is eternal. He is the one to whom the psalmist refers in the 90th Psalm as from everlasting to everlasting. I like to illustrate it with the line, uh, the graphic of a line. You remember in geometry, they told us to draw uh, <clears throat> a line segment as straight as we could and then put an arrowhead on each end that represents a line being infinite, having no beginning or end. It's an infinite um, continuum of points along a plane in space. And um, uh, uh, that representation, that line representation also represents for us um, somewhat eternity. The, the arrow to the left would be from everlasting, the arrow to the right to everlasting. Or if you're going to be Hebrew about it, the arrow to the right from everlasting, the arrow to the left to everlasting, whichever way you want to go with it. All right? Well, if, if, if the eternality of God is represented by the line, then the everlasting nature of a human being is represented by the ray. In other words, the ray has a definite point in space, but it has no beginning, but no definite ending, right? Even so, we began at some definite point in the past that only God knows because we began in his thought life, but we have no ending, okay? And so he is from everlasting to everlasting. 
We're not from everlasting, but we are too everlasting because we were created in him, in his image after his likeness. So whenever he thought us, whenever he conceived us, whenever he designed us, whenever he purposed us, that was when our being came into existence. That's when our being was initiated. Our being was initiated in the mind and the thought of God. I don't believe that when God said to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the mother's womb, thy mother's womb, I knew thee. I don't believe that's exclusive to Jeremiah. I believe Jeremiah becomes an example to the rest of us. In the book of uh, uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse four, the Bible says, for whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. I believe that the same thing that he says to Jeremiah he says to all of us, according to our calling. Now, all of us are not called to be the prophet as Jeremiah was, but all of us are called to be somebody and something in the kingdom of God. And so I believe that really all of us could take our names and put them in the slot where Jeremiah is referred to. And God could say to us, before I formed Tiara in her mother's womb, I knew Tiara and I, I ordained Tiara to be whatever. Okay, before I formed Wendy in her mother's womb, I ordained Wendy to be whatever. You understand? That's God's will. I believe all of us can put our names in the slot. Before I formed Michael in Michael's mother's womb, I ordained Michael to be. You follow? Thank you, sir. That's the being. That's the being. But then there comes a moment in time that God has ordained that he would deposit us now into the earth. And at the moment that he deposits us in the earth, and then in that moment where we become aware that he deposited us in the earth and as to why he's done it, now we're not just being in God's existence, but now we are becoming. The be that God ordained is coming. The real you, the full you, the glorious you, is coming in time. You see, our being is in the eternal realm, but our be comes now in the temporal. Are you familiar with that term? T-E-M-P-O-R-A-L. Temp means time, in the time realm. He creates us in eternity. He forms us in time. That's what that being becoming. And of course, as we... Yes, Sister Porter, and do one more thing for your own uh, for your own support and for the support of others who will see it. Write it B with a hyphen and then coming, all right? It is becoming, but just for the sake of illustration and emphasis, write the word B, then a hyphen, and then coming so that someone who looks at it will have to stop. The hyphen will make them stop, okay? All right. Um, so God told Abram that before Abram in the earth, there was Abraham in my will, in my plan, in my purpose. There you, thank you, Porter. You see what I'm saying there? So he puts Abraham in his will. And he tells Abram now. I want you to come to yourself. 
I want you to meet the one that I've ordained for you to become. Because there's greater than what you understand. And here's my point, my dear brother, my dear sister. There's greater. There's greater. And you may have heard it a thousand times before. Here's time number 1001. There is greater in you than what meets the natural eye or ear or experience in your life right now. When Abram goes to meet Abraham, he's going to meet Abraham coming up out of himself. He's going to be metamorphosized into Abraham. Abraham is not going to come out of the sky. Abraham is not going to come up out of the ground. Abraham is going to come out of Abram. The bullfrog comes out of the tadpole. The butterfly comes out of the caterpillar of the worm. I'm saying that the greater comes out of you. It is an evolution that only God can orchestrate. That's what he had in my Romans 12 and 2, where he said, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, transformed, metamorphosed in the, in the Greek by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind sets and creates conditions by means of which Abraham comes up out of Abram. So listen to me. Listen to me well. If this is true, then Abram becomes Abraham by the renewing of his mind. Abram becomes Abraham by the renewing of Abram's mind. New mind, new man. Now, <clears throat> this, this uh, month is African American Awareness Month, Black History Month. And uh, I want to talk about that in parallel and continuity with Abraham being our example of the being, becoming, doing. Notice that God has a plan for Abraham. He has a plan as Abram will evolve. I'll tell you one more thing, Dr. McGuire, that's absolutely right. Elder Brunson, Minister Chanel, absolutely right. Now, here's the thing. God did not renew Abram's mind by putting Abram through classes with books, or, you know, in those days, maybe scrolls and so forth. No, he put him through a series of God encounters and a series of experiences. And then he put him through a series of years and weeks and months where it might not have looked as if anything much was going on. The renewing of the mind is not facilitated just by academics or scholastics. The renewing of the mind is a holistic reorientation. The things that I may have to endure that are not pleasant. The encounters that I have with God, the encounters that I have with people, all those things are shaping the renewing. All those things are affecting 
the renewing of my mind. Sometimes when we think of the renewing of the mind, we only think of it from a philosophical perspective and that we're going to read some books or we're going to listen to some recordings and that in itself is going to renew our mind. But remember, Abram didn't have any recordings unless he had some books or uh, uh, some some tablets of stone on which there were engraved uh, 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 writings. And I don't think it's coincidental that God allows us to walk with Abram, the end of Genesis 11, but mainly Genesis 12, and from Genesis 12 through Genesis 22, and then into 24, and then he begins to sort of fade off the scene. I don't believe that that's coincidental. I believe that what he's trying to get us to see is that the renewal of the mind is a journey. The renewal of the mind and the consequent transformation of the man or woman man is a journey. It's a journey. And so uh, look at what God does with Abram. He says, get thee out from thy kindred, thy country, Get thee out from thy country, thy kindred, and thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. He's moving him geographically. But you do know he's not just moving him geographically. He's moving him ideologically. He's moving him mentally. He's moving him emotionally. He's moving him spiritually. And I want to tell every person who's listening, God is relocating you. God is moving you. God is taking you from the mentality, the mindset, the attitudes that come about from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. He says, I need to reorient you. <clears throat> In order for you to be transformed, there has to be proper conditions. There has to be a proper environment. So he's not just moving him geographically. He's moving him ideologically. He's moving him emotionally. He's moving him psycholo uh, psychologically. He's moving him spiritually. Are you listening to me? The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 7, the Bible says that that. Stephen, in preaching his sermon on the day that he died, he said, the God of glory appeared to Abram. You understand that a vision like that, an apparition like that, will do something to your mind. Ask Paul. Paul said, I've never forgotten that day when Jesus appeared to me. Now, you may not have a visitation or an apparition of that nature, but God will visit you. God will manifest himself to you. He will reveal himself to you in a real way that will affect your mind for the rest of your life. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. I'm talking about Abram becomes Abraham through the renewal of his mind. And so God does some things that that penetrate his mind and and radically alter the course of his thinking. Remember that traditionally, traditionally, Abram 
is believed to have been the son. He is the son of Terah. He is believed to have been a moon worshiper. And Terah is believed to have been one who actually made the statues, the statuettes, the figures that people worshiped as the moon god. And now God gives a moon worshiper an encounter with the God of glory. And he says, move. And if you read chapter 11 of Genesis, you'll find that it was not Abram who led the way. Terah led the way. I don't know what happened to Terah. I don't know what happened to Abram's father that made him want to lead the way. I don't know whether Abram tried to talk him into it or did talk him into it or whether he had his own encounter. But God told him to leave his father's house. And at some point, at some point, Terah died as Abraham or Abram was moving as God told him. Now, I'm not telling you that your relatives have to physically die. I'm not telling you that your friends have to physically die. Remember that death in the Bible primarily means separation. In the Jewish, the Hebraic perspective, death does not mean cessation. It means separation. And I'm telling you that there will be times in the process of God renewing your mind where there will be separation. All right? Remember, he says, get thee out from your country, big circle, your kindred, smaller circle, your father's house, little circle. God says, I want you to separate yourself from all three of those circles. Because in order for you to become, there will need to be a dying to where you come from. Then he says, if you'll do what I said, I will listen to what, listen to God's thoughts concerning Abram. There are so many people, there are so many people who quote Jeremiah 29, 11. Apostle Dutton, so good to see you, sir. There are so many people who quote uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Another translation, I know the plans that I think toward you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. All that's good. But do you know that in many instances, people have not gone far enough to discover what are those thoughts? What are those plans that God has? And many times we're narrow with those thoughts and plans and we're thinking about a car and a house, some money and a honey. That's what we're thinking about when we're thinking about God's got great plans. And so it's bigger than that. Listen to what God told Abram. He said, the very first thing he said is that I will make of thee a great nation. I'm going to make something great out of you and it's going to affect people. I need you to understand that God always has a plan to make something of you, not to give you something, but to make you something. In the process of making you something, he will give you something. But the greater plan of God is to make something of you. He said, I'm going to use you as the raw material to construct, to build something great. He says, I will make of you a great nation. He says, I will bless you 
He said, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Are you listening? He says, I'm going to make something of you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great and you will be a blessing. Do you see how God is thinking toward Abram? He's not thinking toward Abram as though all he wants to do is give Abram a good bank account. He's not thinking in terms of Abram that he just wants to give him a nice house. That's good, but that's so limited. He says, I want to give you something that will transform nations and generations for ages. And that's what God wants to do for each of us in our respective callings. He wants to give us something that transforms, or rather that, well, yes, that transforms, but that transcends our lifetime, that transcends uh, our physical reach and all of that. He says, I will make of you a great nation. Yes, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great and you will be a blessing. And then listen to what he says. You're going to have such an impact on people that I will bless them who bless you. He says, now, there will be a them that will bless you and I'm going to bless them as a result. Then item six, he said, there will be a him that will try to curse you. He said, I'm not going to lie to you. Though the vast majority of those that I expose you to and expose to you are going to bless you, there will be a limited somebody who will try to curse you and I'll curse him. When you read it, read it right. I will bless them that bless you. I will curse him that cursed thee. So for every him that tries to curse you, there's a them that's going to bless you. And then item seven, and in thee shall all, listen to what he says, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now let me hasten. Listen to me. He told Abram, if you obey me, if you leave those concentric circles, if you leave father's house, kindred, and country, if you leave country, kindred, father's house, he said, as you strip away your country, and strip away your kindred and strip away your father's house. That is strip away all the things that have made you comfortable. All those things that you've used to define you. All those things you've used to uh, be a point of reference as to who you are. I'm going to make you over. I'm going to change your worldview. A man or woman's worldview is the sum total of the beliefs, the values, the thought systems by means of which they perceive and interpret the world around them. A worldview is the sum total of a person's ideology, beliefs, thoughts, by means of which he or she perceives and interprets the world around him or her. God says, Abram, I'm going to change your worldview. I'm going to change your worldview. And in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. In, in other words, in order for me to fully change you, I've got to change your worldview. In order for me to change you, I've got to change your perspective. Because the change of your perspective is going to change your perceptions and vice versa. Listen, a worldview answers these five questions. Actually, I typically use four, but some use five and, and, and it does make sense. A worldview answers these questions. Who am I? 
Where did I come from? Why am I here? What has gone wrong with the world? That's the one that I don't always use. And where am I going? Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I headed? Those are the four that deal directly with the individual. But that fifth one is legitimate. What has gone wrong with the world? Okay, so let's go back. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What has gone wrong with the world? And where am I headed? Who am I? Identity. Where did I come from? Origin. Why am I here? Purpose. What has gone wrong with the world? Crisis or sin, as some variously define it. And then fifth, what has gone wrong with the world? Uh, excuse me. Where am I going? Destiny. Identity, with rather origin, identity, purpose, crisis, and destiny. Those are all the pieces that comprise a worldview. And I'm going to tell you, my dear brother, my dear sister, God is going to shift Abram's worldview. Worldview is what drives our thoughts. It drives our attitudes. As you know, uh, I, I won't go through that litany that I typically uh, go through there. Um, a, a, a thought, an idea, an idea accepted as truth becomes a belief. A belief gives rise to thoughts. Thoughts held and retained give rise to attitudes. Attitudes acted upon give rise to habits. Habits integrated create uh, behaviors, rather. Please forgive me. And, uh, an attitude or a thought acted upon becomes a behavior, and behaviors uh, practiced and repeated become habits. Habits integrated become a lifestyle. So we go from an idea that is accepted as truth. It becomes a belief. Based upon my beliefs, I have thoughts. Those thoughts are integrated into an attitude. That attitude governs my behavior. My behaviors integrated and made regular become habits. Those habits develop into a lifestyle. God is going to give, God is going to give Abraham, Abram, who becomes Abraham, God is going to give him a lifestyle, a dynamic lifestyle that's going to shift the whole world. God is going to shift, change his worldview, and his worldview is going to precipitate a lifestyle that's going to change nations. Instead of being a moon worshiper, because the center, the center of our worldview, the essence of our worldview is going to be our sense of identity, and our identity is derived from origin. Okay? And our origin is based upon whatever we believe to be our source, our God. And so when he shifts gods for Abraham, Abram, when he shifts him from being worshiper of the moon to worshiper of Elohim, worshiper of El Shaddai, worshiper of El Elyon, it begins to change everything. In the day in which Abram lived, 
polytheism was the primary theology, the primary view of God. Polytheism, the idea that there were many gods, many deities, God of the sun, God of the moon, God of the ocean, God of the sky, God of nature. There were so many various, those of you who've studied mythology, you will remember <clears throat> that polytheism was the prominent ideology with regard to the views of God. Abram was a polytheist, but God was about to, the God of glory appeared to Abram when he was still a polytheist and said, you can drop poly. Poly means many. You can drop poly. You're right to be a theist, but there's only one field. The God of glory, the definite article, God of glory appeared to Abram. And that revelation that there is a the God begins to shift his worldview. Now, to be frank, Abram could not have understood the universality of this revelation that he just encountered. Many of the people of Abram's day believed that there were tribal gods and city gods and country gods. There's a God over this city, a God over this country, God over this tribe, even God over this particular family. Many of them believe that. Many of them did not have the consciousness that these beings that they thought of as gods were really not gods at all, but that there was one God and that all the rest of these spirit beings that were contrary to that God were actually demons, fallen angels who had been given assignments by the true God, but who violated those assignments. Wow. Okay. So it was only over time that the lifestyle of Abram being a monotheist, the lifestyle of Abram being a monotheist became not only his lifestyle, but the lifestyle of his family. They worshiped one God. And as his family grew into large subgroups called tribes, they went down into Egypt and became known as tribes. And even though Egypt was still polytheistic, they're worshiping the one God. They, they are now, listen, he has a lifestyle. He shares that lifestyle with his family. His family extends and expands and becomes a collection of tribes. They go to Egypt in, in, in Goshen. And now, while they are in Egypt, Egyptian culture is the dominant culture. But the Abraham lifestyle has grown such now to such extent and extent that it has become a subculture. First, it was one man's lifestyle, and then one family's lifestyle. And then as the family becomes tribes, it becomes a tribal subculture. And in Egypt, they are a subculture. God brings them out 
of Egypt and establishes them as an autonomous nation. And now what was one man's lifestyle has become a family's lifestyle, has become a tribal subculture, has become a nation's culture. And God says in the book of Exodus chapter 19, if you'll obey me now, listen, he's making a covenant proposal to the nation just as he made a covenant proposal to a man back in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, he makes a covenant proposal to one man. In Exodus chapter 19, he makes a covenant proposal to a whole nation and says, if you'll obey me, I'll make you a kingdom of priests. I'll make you a holy nation. I'll cause the entire world to look upon you with admiration and amazement. That's God's plan for Abram. He intends for Abram to cultivate a lifestyle. That lifestyle will begin to be a subculture, but it will ultimately become a culture. But that's not the end of it. That's not the end of it. No, because he said that in Abram and then in uh, Israel, all the nations will be blessed. And how many know that the promise to Abram and the promise to Abraham and the promise to the nation of Israel, rather, is all summed up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ does what it is that he came to do, that is, lives, suffers, dies, is buried and rises again, he tells his disciples now, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And how many know they were faithful to do that? And so now we don't just have a lifestyle. Now we don't just have a subculture. Now we don't just have a culture, but we have a superculture. The kingdom of God, the body of Christ is a superculture. What do you mean it's a superculture? It transcends and supersedes any one nationality, any one ethnicity any one language, any one geopolitical uh, demarcation. The body of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is superculture. He takes one man from a lifestyle and raises up a superculture. Now, why is all of that necessary, Brother Blue? Well, this gentleman, Abram, listen, this gentleman, Abram, is a descendant of one of the three sons of Ham. So are you, so am I. He is a descendant of one of the three sons of Ham. Uh, uh, this, excuse me, one of the three sons, I'm talking too quickly, three sons of Noah. He is a descendant of one of the three sons of Noah. Ham has four sons. So so that's mis, that, that was misstated. Let me say it again and say it better. Abraham is a descendant of one of the three sons of Noah. Noah and his wife were on the ark. His three sons and their wives were on the ark. Prior to the flood, Noah had three sons that we have record of. Those three sons were married. They went with him into the ark. Mrs. Noah, or his wife, went in with him in the ark. When they came off the ark, there is no record that, that Noah and his wife had any more children. And so the only ones who uh, procreated after the flood, humanly, were Shem, Noah, Ham, Noah, Japheth, Noah. Shem, 
Ham, Japheth, with Mrs. Shem, Mrs. Ham, and Mrs. Japheth became the progenitors of all of the rest of humanity. Shem and Shem's descendants end up populating much of Asia. Not all, but much of Asia. All right? Ham and his wife and their descendants end up populating, their descendants end up populating Africa and some of Asia. And then Japheth, his descendants, his wife's descendants, his and his wife's descendants populate much of Europe. Now, I mentioned the fact that uh, this is Black History Month. This is African-American, for those of us in this nation, African-American Awareness Month. God chose Abram and said, come to yourself. Abraham exists in the mind of God. And God in his infinitude, God in his infinite wisdom, deposits Abraham in the loins of a Semite. He deposits this one that he's purposed in himself in Semitic tissue. I don't know why he did it. I don't know why he didn't make him an African. I don't know why he didn't make him a Japhethite. But he made him a Semite or Shemite. As a matter of fact, when you hear in the public discourse people talking about anti-Semitism, slow it down. Anti-Semitism is anti-Shemiteism. A Shemite is a descendant of Shem. Abraham is the premier descendant of Shem. So most often when they say anti-Semitism, anti-Shemiteism, what they're actually saying is anti-descendant of Abraham. That's typically what's being said. You follow that? Anti-Jew, anti-Hebrew, that's what's being said. God elected to use Shem to be the grandfather of the one whose lifestyle would become a superculture. The word Shem, many say, literally means olive-skinned or olive-toned. Ham, the word ham, literally means, basically means, originally means dark-skinned, swarthy. And then, of course, Japheth, fair-skinned or, or fair or light. They're all one family. They all have one natural father and natural mother. They weren't on the ark calling themselves races, R-A-C-E-S. They were a family. And the scripture does not call them races. The scripture calls them nations, Old Testament goyim, New Testament ethnos, the Bible calls them ethnic groups. The Bible calls them nationalities. But the Bible does not call them different orders of being. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts chapter 17 and verse 26 says that, that God has of one blood made all men to dwell on the face of the earth. One blood. 1 Corinthians 15, 39 says that there's one kind of flesh of men. One kind of flesh of men. 
Acts 17, 26 says one blood. 1 Corinthians 15, 39 says one flesh. We say one blood, one flesh, one race, human. Say it again. Make sure you say it. One blood, Acts 17, 26, one flesh, 1 Corinthians 15, 39, one race, human. You follow that? So all these things about the various races, you know, the different races, the various races need to come together. There's only one race of humans. That's it. These other are ethnic distinctives. These other are ethnic distinctives. And the whole idea of there being superiority or inferiority based on degrees of melanin in the skin of a human being is foreign to the mind of God. And anyone who would ever take this book and use it as justification to subjugate an entire ethnic group merely because they descend from one of uh, Abram's, excuse me, Noah's three sons is absolutely preposterous, idiotic. Ridiculous. One blood, one flesh, one race, human. And I'll tell you this, for those who have tried to fix it and say, well, you know, Brother Blue, as far as I'm concerned, I'm colorblind. Uh, I was at a funeral. Oh, I've got to hurry. I was at the homegoing service of a great man of God just a few weeks ago, and a gentleman was up. Everybody had something good to say about the, the man who was deceased. And this gentleman was saying as well that he was not racist, he was not biased, and he said it, it's well-intentioned but poorly stated. Well-intentioned, poorly stated. He said this brother, he was colorblind. He didn't see color. Well, I need you to understand that if you are colorblind, you are not like God. God is not colorblind. He's the one that created the colors. He's the one who decorates his throne with a rainbow all the way around it. He's the one who decorated the breastplate of the high priest with various colored uh, precious stone and black stones on his shoulders. And so, no, God is not colorblind. So if you think that saying you're colorblind is suggests that you're godly, really and truly, it's well-intentioned, but it's poorly stated. God is not colorblind and God did not call us to be colorblind. To the contrary, we're not colorblind. We're color blessed. Did you hear me? We're color blessed. I stated it this morning. I'll say it again. The Bible says in second, uh, the first epistle of John chapter one, this then is the message that we received of him and we declared unto you, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if you know a little bit about light, you know that all the colors come as light being broken up in the prism, the P-R-I-S-M. In other words, when that particular piece of glass called the prism or that particular piece of water called the prism, uh, a drop of water called the prism, when light shines through it, light is diffracted into all the various expressions, all the way from one end of the spectrum with red and all of its hues to violet and all of its hues. Ladies and gentlemen, I need you to understand that all of the colors are simply expressions of God who is light. All of the ethnicities are expressions of God who is light. All of the distinctions and the differences 
that we have as humans are all designed to portray the infinite God. Our multifacetedness point to his omnifacetedness because no one of us can fully express him. And so someone says, why does there need to be a Black History Month? The reason why there needs to be a Black History Month is because that for years, history was written as though only a certain color, only a certain segment of humanity had contributed to the richness of American history and of human history. And so it is not a rewriting of history so much as it is a, a fulfilling, a filling out, a fleshing out of, uh, of history. I do not believe in historical revisionism, but I do believe there's a time to revisit history so as to make it more accurate in terms of the fact that God has used men and women of every ethnicity, of every socioeconomic and sociopolitical strata to influence and to advance and to bring about kingdom of God and the good of people, which is within the parameter of kingdom of God. Our time has gone. Our time has gone. My, my, my. I hope this is beneficial. I hope this has been helpful. You are becoming what God ordained that you would be. And even as God ordained that Abram would become as a Semite, has ordained that you would become as a Hamite, if you're African, or as a Japhethite, if you're European or Caucasian, God, God made that decision. And whatever wrapping he's put you in, whatever container he's put you in, greater is he that is in you than the he that people can see. All right. Well, God bless you. Be encouraged. Be strong. Don't be colorblind. Know that you're color blessed. Notice that as uh, Bishop Lambert has put it in the name of the church, you and I and all of us are diverse by divine design. Until we meet again, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals encouraging you to go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, let us bring pleasure to Christ's heart. Let us bring fame to his name. May the peace of God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 1130 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.